0: good morning brothers and sisters hope you find yourself blessed today coming to the lord's house calling upon his name let us go ahead and arise so that we can begin with a prayer and then we're going to go ahead and read today's text blessed lord we glorify your name always lord because you are the king you are not only king because you have been set by our god but because indeed you rule in our hearts i pray that today for for, for this day, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would give us strength, that you would uh, indeed allow us to be able to learn from this wonderful letter of Romans, Lord, written by the Apostle Paul, that indeed we would continue to learn about the importance of faith and how it is the instrument, Lord, that you have given to us, Lord, for righteousness unto salvation, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your word and just ask you to allow it to be able to be not only heard in this place, Lord, but to be able to be heard out in the world, Lord, and that you would indeed bring your people as you have brought us And given us your peace. For we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. If you could, uh, actually, if you can remain standing, let's go ahead and uh, uh, we're going to be looking at Romans uh, chapter 4, verses 18 to 25. I've titled this sermon, Faith Counted for Righteousness. So, beginning at verse 18, we read In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised. Excuse me, who raised? Uh, oh, believe in him who raised from from, uh, from the dead Jesus, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. May the word of the Lord be blessed. Thank you, and have a, go ahead and have a seat, brothers. So the reason I've titled uh, Faith Content for Righteousness is because we've been learning that how are we justified, brothers and sisters? By our faith, right? That is the instrument that God has given. We know that the basis of our salvation is actually grace. It's the grace of God that gives us that. And uh, actually, very interesting enough, uh, I don't want to go too off of a tangent, but uh, I saw a documentary this, uh, this week about this uh, very famous uh, celebrity in England, by the name of uh, Jimmy Savile, he used to head a a show that was very popular called Top of the Pops, where different uh, performers would go and perform Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And he was very beloved. He was very beloved. He actually uh, knew the queen. He knew the, you know, the royalty. He had, you know, a lot lot of famous people knew him. And long story short, it ended up that after so many years, he ended up being a huge pedophile. And it was discovered after his death, you know, that, that he had actually been doing all these terrible things but it was kind of interesting because uh, one of the things that caught my attention this had to do a little bit relating to a conversation I had with uh, my brother was that he had this philosophy and it's interesting when you begin to see how men justify themselves and what he thought was he understood that he was a flawed man so he when he was speaking these things he wasn't speaking with people knowing that he was necessarily doing all these illicit stuff like you know illicit sexual stuff but he was saying you know, if I have, in other words, if I have all these good deeds, because I used to do a lot of charity, if I have all these good deeds and charities that I do, even though I have all these bad things, if I'm doing enough of these good things, when I stand, you know, before, before the pearly gates of Peter, I should be able to make it in. Right? Because after all, I'm going to have a lot more currency over here, even though I have this currency. But we see how people, they see themselves in those things. And thank God that he doesn't use that kind of judgment to base uh, his, his, uh, his standard, because what's God's standard? God's standard is perfection, right? And that's why it's a blessing, and we should be glorifying God that he sent his son, and that that is the basis by which we are being saved. Because when it comes to the issue of sin, because, and, and this is in relation to uh, some objections that my brother was saying that a lot of times people say, well, you know, how is it that this person you know, was such a great sinner, and then at the end of life, he comes to Christ, and it's okay, it's okay for him to get in, you know, while other people, you know, they didn't do as bad as they did, or they try to live a good life, and I told my brother, well, that's the whole problem right there, the whole problem is that you're looking at your standard, right, but what is God's standard, you know, God's standard is perfection, so it doesn't matter how, how much, how good you think you did, or how bad that person did, it has to do with the grace of God, right, that is the basis for that, and so we're, what we're seeing with Abraham is that we're learning about the importance of the issue of faith. And how, and how it, it uh, actually uh, plays a, a, a strong part in our salvation. So beginning at verse 18, where it says, In hope he believed against hope that we should become the father of many nations. As had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, this is a, this is a very interesting, very, very, very interesting point. Because when Abraham was called right? He was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees, right? And he, the promise that he was given was that he would be given a son, right? And what children would he have with that son? He would have physical children, right? The whole idea is that he would have these physical children, right? And that it was supposed to be with, with his wife, Sarah, right? Now, it's interesting in, in, in the context of, of Romans 4, because in Romans 4, you know, it actually speaks very uh, positively, of Abraham, as it rightfully does, but we do know that there was an issue there was an issue even in his faith at a certain point because what happened how was How was Ishmael born? Ishmael was born out of an act out of the flesh, right and it involved basically uh, in some ways I guess you could say it was very similar to the Adam and Eve situation right where you know where Eve was tempted i mean Adam was tempted by Eve in many ways you know Sarah was tempted uh, or Abraham was tempted by Sarah. In believing that perhaps God's desire was for them to fulfill this promise. And, you know, by him going into his, uh, his uh, 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 servant, you know, Hagar, you know, having as offspring uh, Ishmael. You know, but we see that once the Lord comes and addresses that issue, he makes it very clear. But that that's not the way it was supposed to be. Right? The intent was that who was the child of promise? The child of promise was supposed to be the one that was with Sarah. Right. So that even her, so that even herself had to be a, you know, testify to. But it's interesting that in light of seeing that there was a physical child that came out of this. What this text is actually teaching us is that he came to understand that he was actually going to have spiritual children. And who are these spiritual children, brothers and sisters? Brothers. Exactly. It's those who are of the faith. So that what we see is that a lot of times in the Old Testament, God uses these earthly things, these physical things to point to the greater things, the heavenly things. And that's what we're seeing in this text. And I want to take a look at uh, Hebrews 11, verses 12 through 16, stating, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have opportunity to return but as it is they desire for a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city and what is that city that city is the new jerusalem that is the city that we await. But we see here how when, when you look at the account actually of when Abraham is given the promise of the land promise, what, is he, what does God actually tell him to do? He tells him look to the north, look to the south, right? Look to the east, look to the west. He's actually giving him a physical description. But isn't it interesting that here in the, in the, in the book of Hebrews, we actually come to learn that he understood that it had to be something more than that. And that the reason why why uh, they, they, what's it called, they died without faltering in their faith is because even though they did not see this particular promise come about, they understood that it had to be something else. One of the things that, um, and to me, this was always a very interesting, very interesting text because I always thought, okay, when you witness to a Jew, how does a Jew look at this? How do the Jews look at the promises? They look at physical promises, right? They're looking for that land of Israel to be their home forever, their eternal, their eternal abode, right? They got their land, and guess what? The Jews are going to have their land, right? But when you begin to look at the text, we begin to see that that's not so sisters. This promised land was not just for those that were descendants of Abraham physically, but for those of us who are, who are by faith children of Abraham. And one of the things, too, that uh, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, and, and it was always a, a thing that I have always thought about that I thought was interesting, was that, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. Right, but did they were they not believers? Were they not people that came to be redeemed? The, the The text is not explicit, but it gives us it gives us the indication that it does because we do know, for instance, that in in Genesis three fifteen, a promise is made to to Eve. Would God make a promise to an unbeliever? No. No. You know, so so obviously, when it came to Adam and Eve. Even though they, they were obviously fallen creatures, they were believers. But I find it interesting that when it speaks about when those would go to the abode of the dead, it doesn't call it Adam's bosom, right? It doesn't call it, you know, the place where Adam is, is comforting people. It's actually speaking of Abraham. Why does it call it Abraham's bosom? Because it's when God calls Abraham that he's actually establishing the faith. That's when he's establishing the faith that, that we follow, brothers and sisters. The scriptures, who wrote them? The physical children of Abraham. Right? We see how God used the Jews. The reason they were called as, as a chosen people was because they were, in essence, uh, being, being used as intermediaries. Right? And that was established in the faith that was in the promise that, that was given to Abraham. And that's why, for us, when we talk about him being the father of the faith, is because that's, it's that faith. This promise the, promise, the promise, this promise, if you notice, was not given to Adam. This was a promise that was given to who? To Abraham. And it's this very promise that was given to Abraham that we ourselves are looking forward to, right? Because he's what? The father of what? Of many nations, not just one nation. And so this is one of the things that we see how when you begin to look at the text, you begin to see the heavenly realities coming out of the text and how indeed uh, God's purpose is not merely to fulfill these uh, earthly, earthly uh, promises that, that he did fulfill, by the way, because... In the book of Joshua, actually, if you read the book of Joshua, when it speaks about them getting into the land and, and you know, conquering the, 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 the nations and have received, it actually says there that God was faithful and that He had fulfilled every promise that He had said. Why? Because physically it did occur during the time of Joshua. But yet we still have this, this uh, pointing to a land to come, right? As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews itself, it actually speaks about the Sabbath. It says that when they went to the land, it says that the, it should have been, right? If that would have been the promise, if the land would have been the promise, then that should have been the Sabbath rest, right? Them having received the, the land of Israel. And it says that, that, that it doesn't. It doesn't speak of that rest. Why? Because the rest is in, in Jesus Christ. It's in the, in the age to come. It's in the, in the, in the land to come. And so that's a, a, the great example that, that we see in, a, in verse 18, that these offspring, it's not, it wasn't just merely these physical children, but that it speaks to us, you know, the, uh, the spiritual children. Continuing forward now in verse 19, it says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness uh, of uh, Sarah's womb, right? So what I noted here is that basically his faith was not made weak by his aging body or the barrenness of Sarah's body. And this is actually very relevant to me because I kind of got some bad news this week regarding my heart and uh, it was very discouraging because i very much was working against it and praying and and so when i when when i was given the uh, the sad news that i was hoping I, would, I wouldn't get i got rather discouraged but with time you know especially in, in light of the fact that you know preparing for the sermon i got to see how basically i shouldn't be discouraged if if i have faith i got to put thing, put things in god's hands and so this is a wonderful text because it's showing us how even though they had Committed these, you know, in a sense to sin. You know, with, with having, uh, trying to fulfill the, uh, physically, this promise that God had made to them through uh, through Hagar and, and Ishmael. We see that ultimately, what did God produce in that with Abraham? He produced a true faith. You know, and so when we look at our own lives, that's one of the things that we have to consider. Many times things will, are not going to go, brothers and sisters, the way that you think it's going to go. Because... We make our plans, but God's purposes are different. God has different intents. And he uses those very things a lot of times to teach us. You know, we know that we have to, as Christians go through various trials, right? The scripture uh, speaks of that. I think actually, uh, we will be looking at a text that that, uh, speaks to that. So we see that even looking at the fact that they were already of old age, you know, obviously Sarah being beyond the birthing age, it didn't matter to him he believed god and it was so uh, given to him if we continue in, in uh in uh, looking at uh, luke 17 uh five and six uh this is a great text in which uh actually the the apostles it's it's an interesting text because uh i'm sure you guys have heard this text before where where, where it speaks about you know about the uh, having you know, uh, faith, like a, if you have a, the faith of the size of mustard seed, right? So in this text it says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mul- mulberry tree, be uprooted and, and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you, right? Now, the reason why I find this very interesting is because a lot of times when we, when we speak of this text, we're talking about how little our faith is, right? And that our faith should be great, right? But what you have here is you have Jesus actually saying... To them, when they're saying, increase, increase our faith, they're actually saying, give us strong faith. What does Jesus do? What he's trying to say is, it's not even about how big your faith is. It's really about where your faith is at. And this is actually one thing I think that a lot of times people don't realize, which is that faiths can be different. Right? Just like when you look at the lives of people, when you look at the parables, are all the servants working at the same rate? Do they all produce the same? No. God gives us different abilities and people perform at different abilities. Well, it's the same thing with faith. Sometimes you may have certain brothers and sisters that may have great faith. Maybe faith stronger than you. Or you might be the person who may have greater faith than the other person. But at the end of the day, is that what's going to get you into heaven? How strong your faith is? No. No. It's a question of who are you trusting in? Where is your trust? And that's that's the key. You know? So when it comes to, to the issue of faith, brothers, it's obviously a great thing to have a strong faith. And we should all endure to that because one of the things that we want to do is we want to mature in the faith. And that means increasing in strength in our faith. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, it's about who are we trusting? Are we trusting ourselves? Are we trusting the world? Are we trusting our riches? Are we trusting our family? Or are we trusting in Christ? Or are we trusting in God? And that's, and that's the key. Continuing forward in verse 20, we have, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And so here we see that as, as obviously he was growing in the faith, he became stronger in his faith. And that should be of an encouragement to us, brothers and sisters, because that's what we need to be doing. We need to be not only pursuing the Lord because, you know, it's something that we ought to do, but because we should be growing in the Lord. We want to be able to, to, to be a work of God, right? As a matter of fact, uh, you know, many, uh, many of the parables that speak about bearing fruit, what does it say, right? If you have a tree, if you have a branch that's not bearing fruit, what happens to it? If it doesn't grow and, and be fruitful, it's cut off. It's cut off and burned. So that, that, that is very much speaks to how we are to look at our faith. We should be growing in our faith. If, if we're stagnant in our faith, brothers and sisters, what's going to happen to our faith? It's going to die. You know, so it's very, very important that we, uh, that we foster, foster the faith. And there's obviously different ways that we can do that. And, and we've got to remember that God has used the church for that. There's so many people that, you know, they come to Christ and they acknowledge Christ, but they neglect his church. They neglect meeting with the church. They don't understand that everything that's within the church is actually a gift of God. As a matter of fact, that's what the book of Ephesians teaches us, right? He gave apostles, right? And elders and, and you know, and uh, evangelists. All these things are gifts that God has given. So we, should, we should, be a, should be part of the church. And we should be utilizing these things because all these things are indeed a blessing from God. As an example, I'd like to use actually, we're going to be looking at a few, uh, going back to Genesis 22 in the original accounts with uh, Abraham to take a look at a little bit more into his, uh, his account in, in the faith, but we have in, in Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains on which i shall tell you and so here is, obviously making you know the the point that that what's it called that you know god had obviously given him his son he was with him but now you know the lord is basically calling him to take his son and to sacrifice him you know and that's a that's quite a thing i mean if you, if you look at the context okay he gives him the son and what was the purpose of the son to have many children right and now he's asking him to take that one son that he's supposed to have all these children and to sacrifice him, right? I think that that obviously would have given Abraham an indication that God was testing him, right? So this is obviously a, a good example of how our faith will be tested, brothers and sisters. Many times we, we, we don't understand why things are the, the, way, the way that they are. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in the teen class, there was, a, there was a question that was asked, which was, if it was God's purpose, you know, to establish righteousness and give and have paradise, you know, why would God have allowed, you know, Adam and Eve to sin, right? After all, he, he made everything good. You know, why would, why would that have, have happened? Why? Because God tests, God tests things. And part of it is gonna be that we're gonna be tested. Adam and Eve were tested, you know? And so a lot of the testing brothers and sisters, it's not even a manifestation for God because God knows the answer, but a lot of it is for us. So that even here, when we see in, in the testing of Abraham, who was it really being made manifest to? Because it says that the angel of the Lord actually tells him to stop, right? To stop, not to kill the son. And he says, "Now I know, you know, that that, that, that uh, you know that, that, that you love me, you know that he that he had faith in him." But in reality, you know, it's it's very similar to when. Abraham was, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the Holy issue of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was asking about, you know, the righteous. Would the Lord, you know, destroy the city if there was 50? And he kept bringing it down, you know? Is that because he was teaching Yahweh? Was he teaching Yahweh? No. But God used that as what? As actually a teaching moment for him, which being written becomes what? A teaching moment for who? For us, you know? And that's the thing that we have to understand, brothers and sisters. That God, a lot of times, will test our faith, you know? And it's to reveal to us, what, how are we in the faith? There's a reason why Paul says that we should be examining ourselves in the faith, brothers and sisters, because we, we, need to, we need to have a faith that's strong. And if our faith isn't strong, brothers and sisters, who do we have to give us that strength? Who do we call to? Call to the Lord. And that's the thing, we can, you know, I, I really liked uh, this movie, uh, uh, Oliver Cromwell, about the story of, of uh, actually one of the English leaders But there's a scene in the movie that I really like where he's going into war. And when he's going into war, he says, you know, Lord, he says, uh, you know, even if I forget you, don't forget me while I'm out there. Because we're weak brothers. We could be forgetful, but the Lord isn't. So always look to the Lord. Ask the Lord to be there for you. You know, because he's faithful and he doesn't forget. And he's doing a, a work in you. If We continue in Hebrews 11, it actually gives a commentary on, on the situation with Abraham. and verse, at verses uh, 17 and 18, it says, "By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises, excuse me, and, and he who had received the promises was in, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, "Through Isaac, your offspring shall be named." He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so this is showing us that this is actually here, in essence, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come, right? Because who, who, did, who did give up his son? Whose son was given? God. God gave up his son, right? And it's interesting, you know, because when you look at the Jews, and they look at this text, you know, and obviously they don't have the book of, of Hebrews the way we do what, what their answer to, to that situation where God asked uh, about the sacrifice was, oh, it was never God's intent that he would uh, have them sacrifices. It just, it just shows that God would not, would, not, would not do that. But it's a strange thing because, you know, then why, why did God ask it? But yet we're being given through the spirit of God an indication that this was actually speaking of a foreshadowing of, of, the, of the death of Christ. Because uh, in the text, uh, in, in the, yes, actually if, uh, actually yeah, in the next, uh, in the, commenting on the next verse, I'll, I'll, I'll show you a, a, a text that actually gives to us the indication that, that indeed uh, Abraham did see it as the book of, uh, as the writer of the book of Hebrews did. But uh, continuing forward, let's look at verse uh, 21 now. Verse 21 says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, right, So in other words, this is basically speaking to the fact that this was a done deal for Abraham. So that when God is telling us that he's going to do something, brothers and sisters, he's going to do it. You know, if God has given us prophecies, it's going to happen. If the Lord says he's going to return, he's going to return, brothers and sisters. If he says he's coming to judge all men for their deeds, he's going to judge all men for their deeds. So... So looking at Genesis 14, this is actually the text that to me actually is is, an, is a proof text for our Christian belief, which says in twenty two fourteen, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall provide, shall be provided. Why would Abraham say that? Because there was a sacrifice that was done. It wasn't his son, right? It was actually a, a ram right that was actually sacrificed but we see here that he named that place where the lord will provide so that means that he understood he understood that god was going to be giving a sacrifice you know for sin and and that's the, the great thing that we have the great picture that we have in jesus christ you know he is a the, the wonderful the wonderful lamb that, that that took our place and even abraham you know uh in essence got to see that there's a there's in one of the i know that in, in one of the texts in john i believe uh, you know uh jesus mentions about you know abraham you know lived to see my day and you know I, i'm i've always been curious about what he's referring to but i've always wondered if maybe this was what what he was in reference to in reference to the fact that you know when he was being asked to sacrifice his son he came to understand that god would be sending one that that would be a, a sacrifice ultimately you know, for us. And that's a wonderful picture that we see even early, early on in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the text of Genesis. Uh, looking at verses uh, 20, 22 to 23, we read that, oh, that, is, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written uh, for his sake alone. And this goes back to the uh, original point that we were making, brothers and sisters, which is that the things that are written, why are they written? They're written for our sake, right? That's what I believe Peter, Peter actually uh, uh, speaks to. There's also a, there's a text also in Deuteronomy, which uh, it's a little bit of a different context, but it says, you know, that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us. So that it's very important that when we are looking at the Word of God, everything that's being spoken of in the Word of God, brothers and sisters, it has a significance to us. There's an important reason why it's in the text. And so when when we are reading the text, you know, many of the things, there are many things perhaps that we do not understand or that seem odd, but they actually serve a a purpose. They actually serve God's purpose. And they're actually great mysteries, great mysteries that God Gave to us. Particularly in the Old Testament. But if you look at the New Testament. In reality. You know. A lot of that was an unveiling. That was being done. Because what do we find out? I have come in the volume of the book. For it is written of what? Of me. Says Jesus. Right? Because it's all. It's all about. It's all about the Christ. It's all about the. The, the chosen of God. The purposes of God. Are, are fulfilled in him. And so when you read the text of scripture. That's how we got to read these texts. And we have to look for Christ within the text and God's uh, purposes. Let us look at uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, 6 and 7. And here I want to look a little bit at what I was uh, referring to earlier about how basically in Abraham, not only do we have a father in terms of, you know, one who gives us a good example of what is faith, But to come to understand that even though we have faith, it it will be tested. It is a faith that will be tested. And it says in here, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, and even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that, in other words, when we look to the Lord, we desire blessing, don't we? The reason why we want the good things in life is because we want the, the good things that are from God. But part of that is also involving, in essence, receiving the bad. You know? Isn't that, in essence, what Job uh, told uh, his wife, right? When his wife basically told him, why don't you just curse God and die? You know? And he said, you foolish woman, you know? If we receive good from God. Should we not also receive you know, that which is evil, you know. And so there's a purpose in which why God does these things. And it has to do mainly because, as, as I stated before, God is a tester. And our faith will be tested. And so when, when you're facing various trials, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Because if anything, guess who wants you to be discouraged? The enemy. The enemy wants to be discouraging you. That's why he's called the accuser. You know? That's his job. His job is to tear you down. Right? What did Jesus say? He was what from the beginning? Murder. Yeah, a liar, a murderer. So that's what he wants. Don't give into it, brothers and sisters. The moment that you, they, that you uh, give into that, you're giving into the lie of Satan. We're giving into the flesh. And that's something, you know, that I, I, I had to learn myself this week. You know, it's very, it's very easy to get discouraged, right? but the way we find strength is in perseverance and as calvinists we know that perseverance is is very much a factor right in our salvation and so that's one of the things brothers and sisters that i want to encourage you is to not lose heart but to actually be encouraged in, in the things of the lord it takes time sometimes to reflect and have to intake some of these things but i want you to uh, I want you to remember something that I saw actually earlier, which is that I saw, I was trying to send somebody an encouraging meme, and and there was one where basically the text was saying, you know, that no matter what situation was, he was thankful for what God had given him. And when you think of your situation, you know, can we say everything is perfect, everything is going exactly the way that, that we feel about it? No. But yet, yet it is a grace. Yet even in it, God has gifted us. And we need to be content and happy with what the lord has has given to us and in that thankfulness move forward because one of the one of the things that another text says that i i don't have with me is that many of these trials brothers and sisters that we go through while we have gone through them it also helps us to speak to others to encourage others in the faith right what's the best way to help somebody else than having had gone through the very thing you know that that person is going through so that many, in many ways, that's one of the ways that God, for instance, gives us knowledge, you know, by experiencing these evils. I mean, look at Jesus himself. Jesus was innocent, worked perfectly, right? Lived perfectly. And yet was was he not a man, as the scripture says, who was acquainted with sorrows? You know, because this is the nature of the world. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when, when you feel uh, depressed, or you may feel sad about the way the world is or your situation because that's the world that we're living in. The Bible says that we're living in evil days. Why? Because we're living in a cursed age. But that's why we have people like Abraham to look forward to where we know that this isn't it. We're looking forward to the age to come in which true righteousness dwells. Where we know that that which is greater than gold, we will, we will attain and those are the things, brothers and sisters, that we should be uh, having our hope. As it says in the beginning, as it says actually in the beginning, that, you know, that Abraham, when it says he uh, hoped, uh, it says in hope he believed against hope, which is kind of an interesting uh, way of putting it, but it's, it's a way of saying that it's beyond hope. Right? When you hope, it's something that, well, maybe it will be. This was far, it has to be something far more than that. We have to have certainty that indeed God is going to do this. And that the things that he's doing, he's doing them, to that end. Verse 24, we read, but for ours also, it would be counted to us who believe in him who, who raised, who raised the, uh, excuse me, in him who raised from, from the dead, Jesus, Jesus our Lord. I don't know why I keep having difficulty reading to that particular uh, sentence. But basically, the, the very same way in which Abraham is being counted righteousness through his faith, that's what we're looking to as well, right? Now for him, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, it might have been foreshadowed in Genesis 22, but for us, it's very clear because we're not living before the, clo- before the cross, we're living after the cross, right? And we know that the reality that Jesus came and that he died for us and that this wonderful faith that we have is because of his work. As a matter of fact, you know, we tend to not think about this but isn't it incredible that, you know, Jesus came 2,000 years ago and yet here we still are in the same faith, practicing the same faith after 2,000 years? That's a manifestation of God in and of itself. And itself also a way of giving us hope that indeed this is the true message. Even in light of so many false uh, religions, right? Or false Christianities that, that have come. We still see that the, that the truth of God is there. And that the message of, of the Lord... Uh, Continues. I'd like to take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4.14. It says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. And so the reason that I chose this text is we have faith the way Abraham has faith, right? But it's not only that we have that faith, but that we actually have the very faith in Jesus. Knowing that when, that when he died and he rose again, that itself is actually a manifestation to us that we will live again, right? If you read 1 Corinthians 15, that's what that whole chapter is about. As a matter of fact, the chapter says, if it, says it says in there that, that there are those who say that there's no resurrection. And it basically says that if, if there's no resurrection for us, then Jesus didn't raise, was not raised from the dead, right? And we are of all, of all men miserable, so if Jesus was raised from the dead brothers and sisters that's a justification that is an attestation to you that you are going to live again and that it's not merely that we know that he's coming but that he's coming to save us and that we're going to be in our wonderful glorified bodies the way he the way he receives the glorified body we're going to also be receiving glorified body and ultimately receive the, uh, the finality of our salvation because obviously we've been saved from our sins but don't we have to be saved from these bodies Right? Why, why are we still sinning? Why is that old nature still there? Because we're still struggling with this body. So the fact that Jesus will come and give us that wonderful body that will no longer be infirmed, right? That will no longer have that perverted will, but that will be made perfect like, like his, you know, like his son. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing that we're going to be saved from as well. So it's a wonderful confirmation that we have in, in the... In the In the raising of Jesus. And then the final verse. Which is uh, verse 25 tells us. Who was delivered up for our trespasses. And raised for our justification. And 1 Peter uh, 2.24 tells us. He himself bore our sins in the body. On the tree. That we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And when it says. By his wounds you have been healed. That is actually a. Quote from Isaiah 53, going back to the Old Testament. Once again, another promise being fulfilled, right? So that not only do we know, brothers, that we're going to be, what's it called, uh, uh, saved from our sins. But that indeed, you know, His righteousness is going to be uh, established in us. So there's great, great hope that we have in trusting in God. If you notice, brothers and sisters, everything that we're talking about here not about what, what we it's not really about what we're doing right because when you practice when you're practicing faith what are you doing brothers and sisters you're trusting in something right now if you're trusting in your faith that's a problem because then that's faith and faith right but our faith has an object and our faith the object of our faith is god and in the one whom he sent in jesus christ and so if we have that then we know brothers and sisters that that will give to us all the wonderful work that God has been doing. Because the scriptures themselves, what is it? While they were written with men, right, in terms of the prophets, right, or the apostles, whose work, whose work and inspiration was it? It's God, right? So what we're doing is we're, we're in essence wait, awaiting and trusting in the work of God. And that's what we have to be remembering. And that's why we can't lose... Uh, we can't, lose, we can't lose sight of, of ourselves. We have to re- be reminded in essence of who we are. If we're doing a good work, brothers and sisters, once again, it's because of the work that God is doing. It's because of the work that Christ is doing. So when, when you fall to sin and you feel discouraged, pick yourself up, brothers and sisters, knowing that it's not because of what you're gonna do that you're gonna, that's gonna get you to heaven. It's not that great faith that you have, but it's where is that faith? Whose works are you trusting in, trusting in the Lord? The last verse I, I I'd uh, no, excuse me. Actually, I'd like to, that was actually the last verse. And I want to, I have three applications that I would like us to consider in light of, uh, you know, this final verses of chapter four. And that's uh, in, in the applications. And that's the first one is that we have to uh, trust in God's promises. We have to remember that God is, uh, well, first of all, he's a covenantal God right and we know that by covenant that's actually a way of guaranteeing you know these these, these wonderful promises that he gives to us and uh i like hebrews 11:13, which states uh, about those who have gone on in the faith it says these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth now, this is an important an important text here because one of the things that, that, that as I actually didn't get to finish the point because I, I kind of went off tangent. But, you know, when it, when it comes to speaking to the Jews, and as I said, they have this belief that, you know, they're going to be gaining this physical land here. But so how does one as a Christian show them without accepting the New Testament that the fact of the matter is that we're looking for something far, far greater than that? That actually Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they actually were not awaiting that land, but that they were actually awaiting something, something for greater. You know, because it says, you know, because in one of the texts in, in the book of Hebrews, it actually says that, that Abraham lived in tents, right? It doesn't say he didn't sit there and make a city, right? He, he, because he was waiting for, for uh, the builder who, uh, who's built, uh, the, ha- uh, the city whose builder was God, right? But we don't have that in the, in the, in the book of Genesis, right? But one of the things that I did catch in, in one of the sermons that I remember that I was in one of the old churches was that when Jacob went in front of the Pharaoh and he described his life to the Pharaoh, he referred to it as a pilgrimage. He said, my pilgrimage has been so many years. He says, and he says, mine, mine isn't even anything. He says, my fathers, you know, they got to live this and this and this. So he actually even brings up, you know, uh, Isaac and, uh, and, uh, and Abraham. And the question is, why did he refer to it as a pilgrimage? what is a pilgrimage what is a pilgrim It's one who travels to an area right that is not is, is not his permanent home didn't he live in the in the area where god had called him and yet he refer, and yet they're referring to their life as a pilgrimage why because they understood that this was an it brothers and sisters same thing for you this is an it brothers and sisters we're passing through this is temporary whatever whatever troubles whatever Situations we're in, this is only a snippet compared to the great glory that God is going to give to us. And so when we live our lives here, that's how we have to live, brothers and sisters. Live as as pilgrims knowing that the wonderful things that we seek from God are still to come. And that they will come and that they will be eternal. And and that's one of the reasons why we have such great hope. And we have even the example in scripture of those who teach us that that's the way we should look at these things. The second thing I'd like to look at is that we need to live in light of our, of of your, in other words, you need to live in light of your faith, not just confessing. And what I mean by this is that it's very easy to say that you believe, right? Say, oh, yeah, I have faith in Jesus, you know, or, or I believe in the Christian message, or I believe, you know, or I'm a Christian. But are we really living up to what we are confessing? And that's the one thing that I think we have to really think about. A lot of people have to really think about there's a lot of, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of unauthentic faith. Why? Because a lot of people who claim it, but like the book of, uh, uh, the book of James tells us, you know, show me your faith without works, right? And I'll show you my faith with works. You've got to have a faith that produces in order for you to see if you have uh, a true confessing faith. I'd, and uh, this is actually a bit of a repetition here. So this is uh, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. It says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says, it will come to pass and it will be done for him. So, in other words, that's the the way that we have to be living our lives. We have to be living our lives knowing that, indeed, the things that God has told us, the things that we are learning, are true brothers and sisters. And we have to put them into practice and act accordingly. If we begin to waver, then we're not going to produce the fruit that God has, has, uh, has called, you know, for us to have. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, I can't remember the text, but there's a text that speaks about, you know, uh, where is your foundation, right? That if you put your, put your foundation on sand, what's going to happen, right? It's not going to last. So we got we to gotta put our faith on the rock and that being, you know, being Christ. So whatever faith you have, it's got to be. It's got to. It's got to have a foundation. You got to understand. You got to believe that indeed uh, the Lord will do it. And you got to not only un, not only in other words come to understand that, but also live in such in such manner. The last application I, I uh, I'd like to take a look at is uh, declare your hope in God to an unbelieving world. And I like uh, this text from Acts twenty twenty four, which says, "But I do not count my life of any value." nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel, to the, to the gospel of the grace of God. And so this is a, uh, uh, this is a statement that I, that I thought was, uh, was quite good because, you know, when we, when we awaken every day, you know, we have our purposes, right? We all have things that we're doing, you know? If your parents, you know, you have your, your kids in school, you have hopes, right, that uh, your kids will finish their education, perhaps go to a greater education. You know, we have our plans and the things that we do, maybe for some of us with business or, you know, or with work. But at the end of the day, you know, are those, are the, are those the things really that we should be focusing on? No, those are the things that, in essence, keep us occupied in this world. But we have a, a, an actual work that we should be doing. And, that's, and, and this is what, what, uh, what I like that this text is telling us, that we have to finish our course and we have to finish our ministry. And that means that, why? Because we each have a role to play in the kingdom of God. We're members of the church, right? So that means as members, we have a function. And so it's very important that we, uh, that we actually look to fulfill that, look to fulfill that in the Lord. Understanding that every single one of you, God is calling you for a purpose. If you feel that you do not, you have not figured that out, that's okay. But look to the Lord. The Lord will definitely, you know, have a place for you. He's gifted every single one of us, right? Did any man make himself? Does a man, you know, make his, give himself his own gifts? No. You can develop, you can acquire, you can acquire abilities. But those natural, natural gifts that you have, those were given to you by your creator. You did not make yourself. And so these are the things that we want to be able to testify to the world is by showing the wonderful work that God is doing in us. If God has called you, brothers and sisters, be faithful to, to be fruitful in what he has given to you. And if you put it to practice because he has given it to you, in some ways it, it should be natural. It should be natural because God has given us his gifts. And there's nothing more wonderful than to be able to use these gifts so that we can be... Uh, in essence, uh, fellow workers, right, as the apostle said, in, in the kingdom of heaven. And so these are the things that, that you know, that I think uh, are important to consider. So, so let us trust in God's promises, knowing that when he, when he says he's going to give to us something, indeed, it's a done deal. We need to live in light, right, of, of, that, of, that, of that fact of our faith, not just merely, you know, confessing our faith, but showing good fruit for it. And then basically declaring the hope and being fruitful in the ministry that God has given to us. Such as this place, right? We're very thankful. I'm very thankful for you, for this congregation, for this work that we have here. We see that uh, God is doing a work here. Well, the same way, brothers and sisters, the Lord is is doing a work in each one of your lives. And pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord that he may be able to foster and make you a, a wonderful tree in his garden. Alrighty. Let us go ahead and turn to our Lord in prayer. Blessed Father, we just ask you to be able to allow us to persevere in the faith. Knowing that our strength is in you, not in our flesh. That even, Lord, when uh, you are doing a good work with us, Lord, we know that our faith is tested. And that when our faith is tested, Lord, we want to indeed be able to go through the fire, Lord. Not be burnt up, Lord. We want to be indeed a wonderful work, Lord, that you are doing and that we want to persevere in this work to the end, knowing, Father, that your son will come, and that he is coming to judge, and that while he's coming to judge, we do not fear, Lord, because judgment has already been set aside. We have been justified by the wonderful faith that you have given to us. And so we ask you, Lord, that instead we will rejoice and look to your coming, and that we live every day knowing, Father, that we are to call upon your name and to declare to others the wonderful faith that we have, so that indeed you may continue to fulfill the wonderful work that your scripture tells us that you are doing on this earth, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for, for the congregation and this place that we have. And just ask you to continue to bless us, that you may go with us this week. That we may be able to glorify you and give honor to you, Lord, by the work that you are doing in us, Lord. For we thank you for this in your precious and holy name. Amen.